Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. behind legacy is, is that we believed that it wasn't just enough for us to have a good church and great community and wonderful fellowship and to, to help people and to connect to Christ, to again, baptize people and dedicate babies and marry people and counsel and help and teach. That's, it's not enough to do that right here and right now. But what if we could envision the future? And what if you and I could say, well, one day we're going to get older than we currently are. And one day there are going to be kids and then grandkids and there's going to be other, there's going to be generations to come. And it might be a little bit selfish of us to, to only think of ourselves in the here and now. We actually need to start planning. Or as Solomon said, a righteous person, a good person, they leave an inheritance to their children's children. And we want to be righteous and we want to be good people and we want to be forward thinking. And Jesus actually confirms the same thing. He says, I want you to be so forward thinking. As a matter of fact, he said, I want you to be so forward thinking that you're thinking about eternity. He said, that's why I want you to lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, which means you live a life that makes eternal differences. That's why we connect people to Christ, because that's the only thing that makes an eternal difference. Everything that we cling to in this material world will eventually be lost and gone away with, or, or you're going to die one day, and then people will argue over your stuff, right? That's just what's going to happen. And so we don't want to just have material things. We want to have eternal eternal things. And so he said, that be that forward thinking. And it's that idea of laying up treasures in heaven that the apostle Paul steals or, or lifts that little phrasing up and he uses it in the book of Timothy. And so that's what we're talking about in this series. If you, if you want to know, there's this really unique thing in the book of Timothy where Paul tells Timothy, hey, look, you're a pastor, you're a young pastor, and here's what I know. You're going to have some rich people in your church, and you need to know what you're going to tell those rich people. Because rich people got, well, they got different problems than other people. They got more stresses and different issues. I promise just rich people just have it different than us lowly poor people. And so what he says is you got to teach them very, very specific things. But here's the problem with that scripture is, well, who's he talking to? Like, who really is rich? And what we learned last week is, is that the number one lesson to learn in being rich is to figure out how rich you actually might be. And what we determined is, is that a lot of us in this room, although we don't feel rich, we might actually be rich. And instead of trying to figure out how to be rich, many of us are trying to figure out how to get rich. But the Bible doesn't teach you how to get rich. It only teaches you how to how to be rich. Because here's what we learned. Internationally speaking, if you make more than $37,000 a year, you're in the top 4% of wage earners in the world. Still nobody high fives, nobody claps, nobody's like, yeah, I did it. I won. So if you make 45% of year or more, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. You're a one percenter. All those people that occupy Wall Street is angry at, that's you. Most of you are in that category. Most of you are in that boat. Most of us, cause what we, cause here's the deal. I think social media drives discontentment. Because if you didn't know what the elite of the elite had, you would be grateful and you would be happy. You would be ecstatic. You would really feel like you are blessed and that you are rich. And the reason why you don't feel rich is because it's always easier to point to somebody who's richer than you. That's why if I came up to you today, it's like, hey, are you rich? You'd be like, no, of course not. Why? Because I've watched the show about the Kardashians and they're rich. 
You know what I mean? If you're older, do you remember the TV show? Remember the guy with the really rich English voice? Thank you. Lifestyles. I I can't do the voice. I can barely speak. But lifestyle, remember lifestyles of the rich and the famous? That was the most we ever had back then. Remember back in the 80s, that was the only thing you could look at and say, this is what the really rich people like. Now it's just everywhere. And so what happens is, is because we know what everybody else has and what everybody else is doing, we actually look at what we have and we think, well, I'm not, I'm not rich. They're rich and we're almost a little bit angry that they're so rich and we're not as rich as they are. But the reality is, is that we live, even if you don't make that much money, you probably live better than a king would have lived just a thousand years ago. Like you have some incredible, like again, you're rich. There's things that you have that there's somebody else in the world that I guarantee you, if they looked at what you had, they might give their left arm to live your life. They would think you're incredibly rich. And so, again, the observation is that the reason we don't think we're rich is because we don't, we don't really feel rich. Rich is a moving target. It's something that just, I don't, I don't feel rich, so therefore I can't be rich. And so what happens is, is we start reading scriptures pointed towards rich people, and we think, well, I can just skip right over this. This doesn't even apply to me. And you might be wrong. So now here's the question, because you got to ask yourself this question. Let's say that I held a conference for like rich people, but like really rich people. And I gave you the microphone and I said, look, you can tell rich people one thing, just anything you want. What would you tell them? Are you ready to think about that? What would you, if you could tell rich people like never, ever, always don't forget to, you know, what, what would you tell rich people? All right. You got that thought? All right, turn to your neighbor. You got 20 seconds and you tell them what you would tell rich people. Ready? You can talk in church. Wait, you weren't thinking about it. I told you to think about it. You're like, I wasn't thinking. All right. Now, okay. So tell your neighbor, what would you tell rich people? Tell them. What would you tell them? Come on, Hans, tell her. You have a thought. I know you do. What would you? It probably won't be that good because I put you on the spot. After lunch, you'll have like a great idea, but then it'll be too late because we're not doing this next week. <laughs> All right, you got it? All right, so now you know you know what you would tell rich people because rich people need to be told certain things, right? And so the apostle Paul tells Timothy what to tell rich people. You want to hear what he says? Again, this is the apostle Paul. He wrote, wrote about two thirds of the New Testament. Uh, we believe he did this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We're like, okay, well, okay, what would God maybe say through the apostle Paul to some rich people? And this is what he says. Command those who are rich in this present world. Don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in wealth. It's so uncertain. Actually, put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, and command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous, and to be willing to share. And in this way, this is the part that Paul lists from the uh, from, from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in this way, they will lay up for themselves a firm foundation in the coming age. They'll have an eternal legacy, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So this is what the apostle Paul goes, you got some rich people, which we learned last week. Most of us are rich. And if you're not rich, I want you to, I want you to be rich. I want you to get rich, but I want you to know how to be rich so that when you get rich, you'll, you'll know how to be good at it. Because again, we know a lot of rich people that are not good at being rich. And the very, there's just, all I have time for today is just this one verse. 
Because in verse 17, he tells people three specific things that you got to be or do or figure out if you're rich. And the first thing is this. He goes, don't be arrogant. Doesn't that matter? How did he know? I'll tell you how he knew. Paul used to be rich. Paul, before he was a Christ follower, was rich. And then he became a Christ follower and he got poor because I think they took all of his money. He lost it all. Or that you got to remember he was on the run. He was imprisoned at times. Led a tragic life. I mean, if you go read part of Corinthians where he describes his life, adventure and journey, it's painful. And so, uh, yeah, so Paul knew what it meant to be rich. He knew what it meant to have more than you need. That's what rich means, right? If you have more than you need. You're rich. Why? Because you got extra. And so he knew, he goes, whatever you do, don't be arrogant because you got to admit there's a temptation. Have you ever seen this before? You ever seen a rich person be at Starbucks and rip into the barista? See, there's sometimes when you get some money, sometimes there's a thing that makes you feel like, well, I can leverage this against other people. Sometimes there's an arrogance with money that makes you feel like you might actually be better than somebody else. Now, you would never say that out loud, but you feel it sometimes. Sometimes you feel like you're more important than other people just based on the size of your bank account. It is just a reality of life. And so he said, be careful. There's a temptation. Sometimes there's a temptation to think that you're smart than other people like literally you think because there's more money in your bank account you look at other people like well i'm smarter than them i just know i am that's how i got where i am that's how i have so much money in my bank account is i'm smarter than other people and and paul would say whoa you're you're being arrogant because you're not you're probably not as smart as you think you are because the reality you know why this is true this is the reality because there's some people who have less money than you but if you told them all the stresses that you have right now, financially speaking, and then you told them how much money you make, they wouldn't think you're smart. They think you're stupid and didn't know how to manage money well. Because how in the world could you make that much money and still have that much stress? You can't be doing it, right? Does it make sense? And so you, just because we have more money does not mean that we're smarter. Hey, just because we have more money doesn't mean we work harder. Because I, Because I know this, my grandma worked harder than you. I know she, my grandparents were cattle ranchers and they woke up at 4 a.m. and my grandpa got more done before the sun came up than most of us get any done in any one given day. And he worked hard. It doesn't mean he ended up incredibly rich. Now he, he did well. He did good. But like, I'm telling you what, just because you have a lot of money doesn't necessarily mean you're smart. Doesn't necessarily mean you worked harder than everybody else. There's so many factors that have come together. He goes, but there's a deception to wealth. There's a lie to it that says, hey, you, you're more valuable than other people. You're smarter. You're, you're more important. <clears throat> and so what he says next is interesting because he says, don't be arrogant. But in the next phrase, he kind of digs down on like the root maybe of where that comes from. Cause he says, well, hey, here's why he goes, don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. See, the reason why we're tempted to be arrogant when we have money is because we actually have our hope in our money or our wealth, and and that's what's driving our ego, and that's what's driving our arrogance. I'll I'll prove it to you. Have you ever, because I did, I remember the first time I ever felt this, I was a teenager. I remember getting this like brand new outfit, and my dad gave me his brand new truck to go drive, and it was like Friday night, and I was looking fresh, Right? This is like 1996 fresh. And then my dad's truck looking good. And I remember going out to meet my buddies and my friends and we were going out. And I remember feeling like, oh, I'm the man. And then I was like, wait a minute. I don't normally feel this good about myself. 
I feel real confident right now. And it was kind of one of those epiphany moments where I was like, Todd, the only reason you feel this good and this confident or this certain of yourself is because you think you're the man because like you got this new outfit and you're driving. And, and, and it isn't funny though. I didn't buy them clothes and that wasn't my truck. But bless God, I felt good about it. And so that, that's the idea. Sometimes we have so much kind of certainties that we, 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 again, once we gain wealth, we have a false sense of confidence. If you've ever looked at the, if you've ever done this before, you ever got like a statement from maybe like an account of yours or something that was going on and you looked at it like, wow, look at that. You felt better about everything. There's just something that swells up within us because there's a certain level, if we'll be honest with ourselves, where we have put our confidence or our security or our self-worth in our stuff. Watch what Solomon said. Solomon would notice this too. Listen to what he said in Proverbs 10. He said, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. And so he's saying, hey, th- there's this perception that you get when you have wealth. And the perception is, is look, I got my stacks and all my money and I'm safe now. Now, if you took all this money away, I would be hosed. But because I got all this money, I am good. I am safe. As a matter of fact, this is why when they asked Jesus about this, he talked about rich people having that temptation of putting their faith in stuff and not in God. And he said, it's actually harder for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to really live in the kingdom of God. And what he was pointing to was just this, this, most people think it was like this local thing where there was like a, a place you could pass through the wall. And it was a small little space. That way an army couldn't invade. It was just a little keyhole, right? And he was like, no, if you, if you want to get into the city at night, you gotta just gotta, you gotta cram your, you gotta, you gotta strip off all your stuff. You're not coming in with loads and herds and all your stuff. It's just you just slipping through a little hole in the wall. And he goes, that's what it's like. You gotta, you gotta strip away that idea that my hope is in my stuff. It's not real. It's not true. Because again, you got to remember the reason why you don't think you're rich is because you don't feel rich because rich is a moving target. That's why if I said, Hey, are you rich today? You'd say, no, you would say, I need to be just a little, a little bit further ahead. I just need a little bit more money. Cause if I asked y'all, Hey, what do you need to feel secure? Like if you needed financial security and I sat down with every one of you one-on-one, I said, Hey, this is where you're at. How much more do you need to get to where I would say, you would say, you know what? No, we're financially secure. Every one of us would say something. But the answer would all be the same. It would be, well, I need more than I currently have. And that lets us know, oh, wait a minute. So my security is in my stack. It's in how much that I got. And he goes, that, there's a temptation there. Don't be arrogant. And whatever you do, don't put your hope in finances because that stuff is uncertain. If you've been alive for any length of time and you've seen markets go up and markets go down and the value of your house here and the value of your house there, and you, you just know like this stuff isn't, this isn't real. This is not certain. And so he said, be careful. Watch this. Ecclesiastes 5.10. He proves it again. This is Solomon speaking again. Whoever loves money never has enough. Why? Because when I put my hope in stuff, I need more. Right? I need just a little bit more. He goes, whoever loves money never has enough. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. I need just a little bit more. But he goes this too. Now, just so you know, this is a rich guy saying this. Solomon may be one of the richest men who have ever lived on the planet. That's how rich he was. And he made the observation at the end of his life. He goes, nah, it's kind of meaningless. It does not matter. So watch this. The third thing that he tells him is this. He goes, so don't be arrogant. If, you, if you're rich, if you have more than you need, 
If you have a house, if you have cars, if you have rooms for your clothing to live in, and you have rooms for your little homes for your car to live in, and you've got food packaged and put away, and you, you've got money in a, in a place that holds your money because you can't, you don't have enough room in your pocket. If you've got that, you're, you've got more than you need. Don't be arrogant. Don't put your, your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But then this is the third thing he tells them. Actually, just put your hope in God. And just so you know, he's not talking to a bunch of unbelievers. It's not like he went to found a bunch of Greek pagan heathen people and said, hey, you guys really need to turn and put your faith in God. No, no, he's talking to believers. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to people who would be sitting up inside of a church who would have a temptation to put their faith and to put their hope, to put their certainty into their wealth. And he goes, no, no, no. you tell them to put their hope in God. And again, Jesus kind of confirms this idea. He says something so, Jesus says something so radical about this idea. He said that the number one thing that would ever compete for your heart would be money. Now, I didn't say that. Jesus did. Because most preachers would say something like, you know what? It's, it's, you got to choose God or sin or it's just God or the devil. And we think of this idea that God versus the devil is some real thing. And then we have sometimes, it's like, not what Jesus said. Listen to what he said. He goes, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Yeah, he was like, that's the thing that competes for your heart. There's this pulling and tugging to say, hey man, put your put your faith, put your certainty, put your sense of confidence and security in how much money that you have. And if you do that, you'll be, you'll be and Jesus is just competing and challenging and messing with you, saying, no, 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 it's God, it's, it's the other. Because we know this, we know this to be true. If you've ever put your hope in money, eventually life will teach you how false and uncertain it is. Because here's what will happen. Sometimes you'll look at the bank statement and be like, all right, we're doing pretty good. Right? But then you'll, you all of a sudden you get a call from a doctor and they give you a name you've never heard of and some weird disease that you got. And you're like, yeah, money can't cure that. What do you do with that? Or, or, or if you're a parent and all of a sudden your kid goes off the rails Kid goes off the deep end. What's your bank account doing for you now? Nothing. So there's, there's nothing in that. Or you're, you think about your marriage. You think, man, our marriage is so on the rocks. It's so difficult. We're not getting along. I'd love to go back to the way it used to be. I wish we could be in love the way that we used to be in love. And I wish we could recapture the, the romance and the love that we used to have. Yeah. No bank account can fix that. See, there's certain, there's certain things that only God can give you. But again, many of us, we live life putting our faith and our hope and our, our certainty because no amount of money can fix most of life. It's just not possible. And so he goes, and he adds something to it. And he goes, he, now he just gives an observation. There's three, there's three things really that he tells him to do in this one verse. Number one, just don't be arrogant. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Don't be snarky. Don't be snoo- Don't ever get it in your head that you might be more important than somebody else simply because of the size of your stack. Never do that. Never put your faith in the size of your stack. That thing's uncertain. It could be here one day and gone the next anyway. And actually what you want to do is put your faith and hope in God who, watch this, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Isn't that incredible? So the observation he gives you at the end is this. He goes, and the other reason why you're really not arrogant is because you didn't really get it on your own anyway. You didn't earn all that money on your own. You think you chose when you were born? You think you chose where you were born? 
You think you chose the mind and the genetic coding that got you to that type of brain and that type of body that it was able to work like that? You thought you came up with that? You thought you brought together all the factors? You think you're that hardworking, that brilliant that you did? You are like a turtle on a fence post. You didn't get there on your own. You didn't come up with all that stuff. Other factors converge. You didn't choose the family you came from. You didn't choose any of that stuff. There's what you, because this is the starting point of all good management. It's not mine. It's God's. It's all his. It came from him. He is the one who richly provides us with everything. And this is a fascinating thing because this is almost like kind of anti-Christian. It's for our what? Enjoyment. Like God actually wants you to be blessed in life and have joy and enjoy men in life. He goes, but it really starts when you recognize, man, it's all God's anyway. It all comes from him. I didn't do this on my own. I didn't figure all this out on my own. I didn't put all these things together. I didn't create this convergence. It was my heavenly father. And so to kind of like help you dig down on this idea, because I want to wrap up. There's a challenge now, because sometimes when you hear a preacher like this, you're like, well, I don't do that. Really? Because I think we do. And I don't think we do it maybe all the time, and we might not do it in all areas, but I think we do it. And I gave you four questions here that I want you to write down and dwell on and think about and you contemplate. Because I think if you answer these four questions, uh, I think you can maybe discover, am I, am I putting my wealth uh, ahead of God? Am I putting my hope in something that is so uncertain? Because again, what Paul alludes to is this is that if we don't get this right, we will miss the opportunity to have life that is truly life and leave an eternal legacy. He said, you've got to get this right. So here's a question I want to ask you. Just to, You can toy around with this. Number one is this. If you will answer this question, it'll kind of reveal what's going on in my heart. So here's the thing I want you to ask yourself. Which of these two statements that I'm going to give you creates the most anxiety? There is no God or there's no money in the bank. Which one creates more anxiety? Because there's a lot of you that like, again, man, I got money in the bank. I am set. I am hooked up. I am, I am feeling comfortable. If there's no God, I mean, Todd, I feel sorry for you because you're probably going to be at a job soon. But if, you know, but I'll be okay. You know, the difference between rich people and poor people is rich people don't, or poor people don't put their, their hope in, in wealth because they don't got any. So they just trust, they just believe. This is why, and this is a, this is a statistical fact, is that usually the less money that you have, the more generous that you are percentage wise. Why? Cause like, man, when you're a believer and you don't got a lot of money, you give. Why? Cause you got nothing to lose. You're like, no, I believe I got nothing but God. It is God or bus. It, it is nothing. And so again, there's this idea. If, if I just said there's no God and you're like, well, I guess I'll just go to work tomorrow. You have money in the bank. It's all good. We're going to work this out. Or what if I said there's no money in the bank? If I told you there's no money in the bank, what kind of a panic attack will we have? Because depending on how we react to those two statements, it might just be, it might be that we have put our, our certainty, our, our, our faith, our hope into our stuff. Here's another question for you. Does the fear of not having enough hinder you from giving generously? Now, again, he was talking to rich people. He goes, so you've got more than you need. You've got extra. You've got stuff. Does the fear of not having enough hinder you from giving generously? Or, or if every time you're presented with an opportunity or with a need, something good that you could do, 
Are you like, well, if I, but if I do this, I won't have this. But if I do this, I won't have this. Do you, is there that reluctancy in you? Is there something that you pull back on? There's a, um, there's a thing I've noticed about giving this way is that when you're younger, as a matter of fact, if, if you're, if you're young in here, please dial in with me real quick here. It is way easier to start giving when you're young. It just is. I'm telling you, I've talked to so many people that when they're adults, they're introduced to the idea of giving and being generous or being a percentage giver and they literally lock up. And the reason why they lock up is because they, they realize like, well, if I do this, I won't have this. Or if I do this, it'll make everything else tighter here. And when you do it when you're young, what you do is, is you build it into your lifestyle. Cause see, I remember when I only made 200 bucks a paycheck and it was easy to tie 20 bucks, right? And see what happens is, is when it's easy to give 20 bucks. And then when you start making 400 bucks a paycheck, it's, it's still easy to give 40 bucks. And then see what happens is, is because you started doing it when you were young, you built it into your lifestyle, built it into your heart. You just like, no, this is automatic. This is just set in stone. This is just what I do. See what happens is when you're an adult and you've never been generous. And then all of a sudden somebody like me says, Hey, I want you to be a percentage giver. <gasps> oh my God. You know, it's like you, you lock up inside. There's a fear. There's an anxiety. But why is your hope in your stuff or is in the God or is it in the God who richly provides you with all things? And so this is, again, just something because here's the problem that we run into. The reason why sometimes the reason why poor people look at rich people and be like, you're dumb is because what happens is, is that when we when we have a little bit of money. Um, and we start giving, we have something called margin. See, here's what happens when you're young, you don't make a lot of money. You, you, you know, you, you can start doing this. If you don't start doing this, this is what most people do, especially in America is, is what they do is they make a lot of money when they get older. But what they do is, is they just, they have no margin still. Does that make sense? Let me, let me give you an example. Let's say you make $60,000 a year and all of a sudden you get a bump to $80,000 a year. You're like, that's awesome. That's a, that's a legitimate increase. And what happens is, is that most people don't say, oh my God, look how much we can give more. Look, we can look at the margin we can create. Look at the, the savings. Look at what we can help our kids do for their future. They don't do that. What they do is they take their lifestyle and they match their lifestyle to their increase. And so this is why you still have the same amount of stress is because as your increase or as your wealth has increased, your lifestyle increased. You live more lavishly, but you're just as broke is all this really means because you still have no margin. And so again, the, 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 again, this is for young people. Young people start giving now so that it's built in. And every time that you get an increase, do not increase your lifestyle to match your increase of wealth. Always, always, always leave margin. And all of the adults said, amen. Because we all wish we would have done that. Because as soon as we were in our 40s and somebody told us how compound interest works, we would literally get a flux capacitor, go back in the future with Michael J. Fox, and kick our young self in the pants. Because we realized, why didn't I start saving earlier? Why didn't I start doing this? Or why didn't I start doing this early? Because again, there's just something about it. And so when you're young, just trust me, start giving now. And you'll be a giver for the rest of your life. And you will make an eternal difference. All right, let's keep going. Because this is question number three. Do you have money in the bank but no peace in your heart? Oh, that's a good question. Do you have money in the bank, but not peace in your heart? Because here's what I know about you. Sometimes when I would talk to you about like the good old days when you were younger and you made way less money, you were happier. Sometimes when you were poorer, you had less stress. 
Sometimes, sometimes we look at rich people who live up in a certain community and we're like, what in the world? And they have depression issues. They have anxiety issues. They have opioid issues. They got all kinds of weird things and they got family issues. They got, they're like, what are you doing? They have money. They don't have peace. Cause see, there's certain things that money can't buy. And if you ever put your faith and your hope into wealth, it is so incredibly uncertain. And there's a potential that you end up trying to live a life where you're trying to get rich instead of just learning how to be rich. And how you be rich is to ever be arrogant. Never put your faith in riches, which is so uncertain, but God who literally provides all things. Last question is this. How hard is it for you to do the right thing if you know it'll cost you financially? Have you ever been bumped up into a situation where your character was challenged? You were like, I, I did this one time. I, I, one time I was um, in my, this was years and years ago. I was in a car garage and I backed into somebody's car and I popped their brake light and I got out and you hear, you know, the crunch sound makes your stomach turn, doesn't it? You're like, oh crap. And I got out and I'm looking and I'm seeing the broken brake light and I'm like, I could just sweep that right underneath that dude's car. I'll just drive off. There ain't no cameras up in here. And because why? My, my thought was, man, I can save a lot of money. This is going to cost me. But again, it's going to cost you your character. And sometimes it, there, there are times in your life where you know your character is coming into challenge. Will you do the right thing? Or is it like, no, 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 no. Look at what that'll cost me. If I have to choose money over my character, it lets me know. My faith is actually in my money and my need for more money and not in the God who richly provides all things. And so let's wrap up. Let's be done. I want you to live a legacy life. I want you to be so legacy minded, eternally minded. I want you to be, hey, get, get in here next week. Next week is going to be awesome because we're going to give away something really, really cool to everybody. And, and but I'm telling you next week, the sermon is so good because he actually tells you what, what rich people ought to do well. And, but we'll get to that next week. First lesson in, in being rich is to recognize how rich you are. But the second lesson is really this. It's a warning. Hey, there's a temptation to having more than you need. There's a temptation to having extra stuff. And it's to put your faith in that stuff. And so last week I introduced you to this phrase. And, and all we did was recognize how rich we are. And we all said this out loud. It was kind of weird because most of us don't want to admit maybe that we are rich. We are blessed. God has given us more than we need. And so everybody say this with me. Everybody say, God has blessed me. With more than I need, I'm rich. Now, I need you to say that one more time as if you had the full eight hours of sleep. Everybody say, God has blessed me. With more than I need, I'm rich. Now, we're going to add to that. Because this is really what we learned today. But I will not trust in my riches. But in him who richly provides. Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. I don't know about you, but like, I want my life to matter. I want to make a difference. I want to have a legacy. I want God to have used me to my fullest capacity. I want God to have done a work in me, but also through me. I want to get to the end of my life and realize God did something through me. He used me in an incredible way. I'm not just leaving some money behind. I am leaving an eternal difference behind. 
And the apostle Paul addresses this. He goes, well, hey, look, there's a way that you're going to leave a legacy. And there's a temptation to it. So you got to be warned. Like, whatever it is, the stuff that God has given you is a tool and it's a resource. But never put your faith in that stuff. That stuff is material. That stuff will be gone. That stuff doesn't last. Never put your faith in that stuff. Actually, to leave a legacy, you have to put your faith in God, who richly provides us with all things, and recognize that it all came from Him. I don't know if you've ever seen like a teenager going down the road. You know, it's like a, like a 15, 16 year old kid driving like a Porsche or something like that. And never once did we think to ourselves, wow, that kid is really hardworking. How did he do that? What we, what we thought is, is wow, he's driving his dad's car. <laughs> or he's some rich kid where his dad, his dad bought him that or something like that. And so that's, that's what, we, that's what we think. I think that's how God might look at us sometimes. We're driving around everything. We're, we're, we're living in everything. We're, we're, we're walking in all of his goodness and blessing and everything that he has richly provided. And he's saying, never once think that you did this on your own. Never once think that you worked for it all on your own, that you figured it out all on your own. It was God who richly provided you with everything. And we'll put our faith in him. So Father, help us to live a life walking by faith and trusting in you and in doing so, leaving a legacy. Lord, that is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Can you give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.